Anyway, so I just wanted to share those things with you in my heart that I feel like there's a season of stretching come on and I have this message prepared and I hope that this will be a exhortation and a comfort as we get into this season where our faith is going to be stretched and our obedience to God is going to be stretched. So if you would, just go to the Lord with me in prayer and don't just listen to me pray because I know that's the common thing. You know, I watch sermons quite often and I'll watch on YouTube, you know, a preacher that's lived and that's preached in the past. Maybe that particular preacher's already passed away or the service isn't live. The service happened, you know, um, years before or weeks before or what have you. And they get to this portion where they pray and, you know, there's this temptation to just watch them pray. There's a temptation to just let them pray and, you know, just ignore them um, and or listen to what they have to say as if it's just a part of the sermon and then not pray yourself. But I'm asking you, this isn't a video um, designed for your entertainment. This is a video designed for your exhortation. This is a video designed to challenge you and to bring you to a place of growing in grace, growing in Christian maturity. So what I want, if you were here in person in this sanctuary with me and I went to the Lord in prayer, I would believe and hope that everyone would go to the Lord in prayer with me. So as I go to the Lord in prayer and I pray for this message and I pray that God gives me the words to say, I would ask that you would pray for yourself and you would pray for me as well. That Number one, you'd pray that your heart was softened and ready and made pliable to receive and be shaped and molded by the Word of God. And I would pray secondly that you'd pray for me that God would use me as a vessel to speak to you so that you wouldn't hear the words of a man, that you wouldn't hear the words of Chris Aaron, but that you would hear the words of God through the Word of God and that it would change you and mold you into the image of God. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray with me. Don't just watch me. Don't just listen to me. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I say that every time that I get up to preach, that I want to thank you for this opportunity. Lord, it's not just a catchphrase or something to be said so that others can know how thankful I am, but Lord, it's really an expression of thanks. Lord, I'm thankful that I have the technology and the opportunity to minister to our congregation even in the midst of this social distancing. But Lord, even more than that, I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to preach, that you've called me to such a noble calling, to a challenging calling, but to a noble calling. Lord Jesus, it's no light thing to be up here and to minister the gospel. And I don't take it as a light thing. Lord, I take it as life and death. I take it as the utmost seriousness. Lord, I take this as the final calling. Some men and women deal with people's lives for a short time frame. But Lord, those that minister the gospel deal with people's eternities. And Lord, I would just ask that you would use me to speak truth, that you would use me to challenge and exhort and to comfort those wherever they're at, whatever phase of life they're in, whatever phase of Christian maturity they're in. Lord, that you would use me as a vessel to bring growth, to bring comfort, and to show them the love of God in a way that maybe they've never felt it before. Because that's why we do this, Lord. We do this because you love us. Lord, you've had multiple opportunities to wipe mankind from the face of the earth, and you could do so at any point in time. Lord, you would certainly be justified in doing so because mankind is completely sinful and a fallen race, to be sure. But Lord, you extend mercy after mercy after mercy. And Lord, if it was that we had to exhaust your mercy one time, 
and that we fell short one time, we would still be worthy of condemnation. But Lord, it's not one time, it's time after time after time we sin and we fall short and we backslide and we stumble and we trip and fall flat on our face over and over and over again. When we try to do right, we do wrong. When we try to press on and up, we fall down. But Lord, I'm thankful for your grace. And I'm thankful for your love. And Lord, I ask that those that are listening, God, who maybe feel condemned or maybe feel isolated and unloved from the rest of the world because I know that this COVID-19 situation has gotten people distanced from one another. And maybe those that were already struggling with depression or self-condemnation or self-degradation. Lord, this situation where they didn't have anyone's exhortation or anyone's comfort, but they were isolated to themselves alone. The situation may have just amplified that and given opportunity for the devil to come in and tell them that they aren't loved, that you don't care for them. And God, I just want to be a vessel this morning to tell them that that is false and that that's a lie of the devil and that you do in fact care for them and love them and that your grace is extended to them, that you are ready right this moment to reach down and to embrace them as your child. Lord, I just ask that my words are your words, that my truth that I bring forth is in fact your truth, and that you use it to change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 22. A little bit of background. This is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. For those of you that aren't familiar with that story, 5,000 men, not counting women and children, so probably closer to eight, maybe nine, 10,000 people were crowded around Jesus as he taught them. They were in a desolate place. They didn't have any food. Jesus challenges his disciples, particularly Philip, and he says, why don't you feed them? And Philip says, we couldn't. We have this much money. That wouldn't be near enough. And so Jesus says, what do you have? And they get a young boy's lunch, and he has five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus takes it, breaks it, blesses it, feeds the disciples. The disciples minister and pass the food out to the rest. And every single person ate and was satisfied. Every single one of the eight, nine, maybe 10,000 people ate and was satisfied. Jesus just performed a huge miracle. And then following this, immediately following this, we get into verse 22 where we're at. Verse 22, immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat. I want you to remember that. Jesus made the disciples or instructed the disciples or commanded the disciples to get into the boat. So it was his instruction for them to get into the boat. That's important. And go ahead of him to the other side while he stayed and sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. If Jesus, the Son of God, the divine incarnation, God in flesh, completely sinless, completely perfect, all power in flesh, took time to isolate himself to pray and to seek the face of God, then it stands to reason that we, a fallen creature, a struggling creature, needs to take time and seek the face of God. just wanted to interject that little rabbit trail for a moment. He went up by himself on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. 
So you've got the disciples who are instructed to be in the boat to go across the sea. They're in the midst of the boat and the winds and the waves are beating against them and fighting them. And in the fourth watch of the night, the fourth watch of the night, you can kind of study that out. But essentially, the night is a period of 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., just like day is from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's a 12-hour increment. It doesn't change. It's not when it gets dark or when it gets bright. It's just that 12-hour period. Um, and the fourth watch of the night is divided into three-hour increments. So the fourth watch of the night is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. That's the fourth watch of the night. So somewhere around 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., uh, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. <laughs> Sometimes I don't think that we really grasp that because all the pictures that you see for the, a large part, you know, it's got this flat sea and you've got Jesus walking on the water, but it just says previously that it's winds and waves were contrary and they're battering the boat and Jesus is walking on the waves. So he's not walking like this. He's walking on the waves like this or maybe the waves are just hitting everywhere, but where he's walking, I don't know. But it's a pretty spectacular sight to see the Son of God walking on top of the water. And it's so spectacular that when the disciples see Jesus walking on the sea, it says they were terrified and they said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. So they didn't recognize Him. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So I want you to remember, Jesus instructed all the disciples to get in the boat. They went out under the sea. Jesus comes walking on the sea. Peter asked for Jesus to bid him to come to him. And Jesus says, come. So Peter receives another instruction to come. That's important in a minute. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind... And the waves, I suppose, because the wind's blowing the water all around, tossing, he became frightened. And I would say seeing the waves because you can't see wind, it's invisible, so he was seeing what the wind was doing to the water, swirling it up. Um, but seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. This is so funny, and I just want to share this little story with you. The whole reason that I felt compelled to share this message was because of Friday. Um, I prayed about it and made sure, but Friday we took the kids. Face parents had come down to visit us for the week, and we had a great time with them. But while they were down here, you know, one of the things you want to do, you come to visit your family at the beach, you want to go to the beach. Um, the weather didn't allow us to do that on Thursday. Friday it was kind of cloudy but and windy, but it wasn't raining, so we thought, okay, we'll go to the beach for a few hours. And so we went. And there was waves. They weren't great big waves by any stretch of the imagination, but they were, they were decent and they were pretty strong, enough to where our kids, you know, walking out in the water, the waves would kind of push them a little bit. One thing that I've been doing is working with the kids, teaching them, you know, not to be afraid that they can walk out into the water and play. They don't have to just stay on the shore. And so I'll walk out into the water a little bit and I'll, you know, motion for the kids to come to me. Asher, he's extremely cautious, so he sees the waves, he walks in, gets hit by a wave, and he gets back out. But Claire, she's a little bit more daring and a little bit more brave. So I'm out there and I'm motioning for Claire to come to me. And she starts walking. And she gets a pretty good distance from the bank there. And she's still coming towards me. But then, you know, a pretty big wave hits her and kind of gets her in the face a little bit and knocks her back. And then she starts to come and another one hits her and knocks her back just a little bit. Not pushing her under the water. And she does have a life jacket on. I'm not a terrible, abusive, or ne negligent parent. But 
You know, just enough to just kind of startle her. Well, after the third or the fourth one hits her, she just she does this clap thing. When I want Claire to come to me, I'll clap and reach for her, and she'll clap and reach for me. Well, she does that. She's on the water, and she gets hit by the third or fourth wave, and she claps and reaches out for me, and I don't come to her. And she claps and reaches out for me again, and I don't come to her. I'm still motioning for her to come to me. And so finally, she does it the third time, and it's kind of like a half-hearted, you know, clap and then reach, and she's like, Papa, help! And so by that point, you know, my heart was melted and I, I walked towards her and I picked her up and carried her back. But it got me thinking because I've always read this passage in a certain way. And I think a lot of you that have read this passage have probably read it in a similar way. But when Jesus reaches down immediately and pulls Peter's hand up when he cries, Lord, save me, he says a statement. He says, you know, if you're King James, he says, oh, ye of little faith, you know, whence thou doubtest, or if you're you know, a more modern translation, he says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And I was thinking about that. And I've always read this as just like a stern rebuke. Like Peter gets out, walks on the water, sees the wind and the waves, and he starts to sing, Lord, save me. And Jesus yanks him up and says, Oh, you of little faith, how dare you doubt me? But after that moment with Claire, it was almost like something clicked. And I'm not saying that this is accurate. I'm just saying that maybe this is a possibility. That when Jesus pulls Peter up onto the water with him, it's not a stern rebuke. Because if you think about it, Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water to go to his master. That takes some faith right there in of itself. Maybe, just maybe, what Jesus was doing was a gen gentle exhortation or a comforting. You know, oh you of little faith, why did you doubt? You didn't have to doubt. You could have walked with me. Because I'm pretty certain that after this moment, Jesus and Peter both walk hand in hand back to the boat together. I don't think Jesus threw him up on his shoulder and carried him or gave him a piggyback ride back to the boat. I'm pretty sure they both walked on the water back to the boat. I don't think that Jesus suddenly sank down in the water and they swam together back to the boat. I think Jesus pulled him up, asked him why he doubted, and then they both walked back to the boat. So I began to look at this as more of an exhortation of Jesus saying, you did good, you had faith, you trusted me, you stepped out onto the waves, and you took some steps, you came towards me, and you were doing great. But then you let your little faith be distracted, and you began to focus on your circumstances and your surroundings, and the impossibility of it all, and you began to sink. And that caused you to cry out, Lord, save me. Because I didn't rebuke my daughter, Claire, when she clapped and she said, Papa, help! Which is almost the equivalent of what Peter says. He says, Lord, save me! And she said, Papa, help! I didn't rebuke her. I picked her up and I squeezed her tight and I walked back with her. And I held her close and I loved her. And I comforted her because she was scared. Jesus pulled Peter up, and I'm pretty sure, now that I've had that experience, that personal experience, I'm almost certain that this wasn't a stern rebuke of a hard teacher, but this was the loving encouragement of a faithful father, of a faithful master, who sees us in our struggle, sees us when we sink, and says, why do you doubt? You don't have to doubt. There is another option. There's another option. You could trust me. And see, the thing I love, and I'm not huge into Greek, but I actually looked up the word doubt. 
because I just had this feeling. I looked up the word doubt, and I'm not saying that this is what it means in this situation, but it's an interesting factor to incorporate into your thought process. The word doubt also means hesitate. Why did you hesitate? Why did you allow your circumstances and your surroundings to hesitate in your, you in your pursuit of me? You were pursuing me. You were pressing towards me in spite of the wind and the waves, in spite of the contrary sea, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the attacks, in spite of all the attempts for nature and the enemy and everything else to bring you down. You were pursuing me, but then you hesitated. <laughs> Completely off track. But I just thought of that movie, the Frozen movie, with Olaf the snowman. I don't know if you've seen that. And she says, does it look, my hair look bad? And Kristoff's like, and Olaf says, you hesitated. <laughs> I just thought of that. And it's like, you have the right answer. You know what you're supposed to do. You know that you're supposed to pursue Jesus. You know that you're supposed to press in. You know that you're supposed to step out in faith. But then you hesitate. You stop. And you're stopping for just a brief moment. It allows doubt to filter in and overcome you. And you begin to sink into the ocean of all kinds of bad things. I could call it the sea of forgetfulness. The sea of sin. The sea of lost humanity. You could use any kind of allegorical comparison there. But you just begin to sink and let your circumstances overtake you and Instead of just continuing in your journey and your pursuit towards Jesus. Let's finish this out and then I want to kind of spiritualize this a little bit if you'll go there with me. To spiritualize just means to take the natural occurrence and put an allegory or symbolism on it and take things in a metaphorical sense like this represents this and it makes the teaching kind of expound a little bit. It's kind of dangerous to do that with every passage of scripture if you if you go contrary to one passage of Scripture or violate a Scripture by doing that. But if you can take it in its context for what it is and allow it to be filtered through the whole of the Bible, you can find some glorious truths. And so test me, try me, make sure I'm not violating any portion of Scripture when we do this spiritualization. I'm confident that I'm not. But I think that there's a deeper truth here that we can grasp hold of. Remember when I started this, I said this was going to be about stretching our faith. Peter stepping out of the boat was a stretch of faith, wasn't it? I mean, how many times have you walked on water? I haven't. I've tried. <laughs> I had a conversation with Faith's dad while they were down here, actually, about this same passage. And I've tried, you know, when you go to a public swimming pool or, you know, you have your own swimming pool, you know, you'll stand on the edge. For those of you that have, you know, read this story, maybe you've tried this, maybe you haven't, but you'll be like, okay, God, I'm stepping out. I believe there's no doubt in me. I'm going to, and you take a step and then you hit sink to the bottom immediately trying to walk on water. Uh, it's never happened for me, but Peter can say that it happened for him because he allowed his faith to be stretched and his pursuit towards Jesus. And so when they get back into the boat, it says the wind stopped and those who were in the boat worshipped him, worshipped Jesus saying you are certainly God's son or you are certainly the son of God. I want to spiritualize this whole thing a minute. Jesus tells them to get in the boat. And I was just thinking about this and you don't have to go this far with me. That's okay. Maybe this message is just for me. But I was thinking that the boat is a representation of the church. The church as we know it today. Not the church, the ecclesia, as in the invisible church that makes up and oversees all denominations. Just the church as in what we think of church. The traditional church, you know, Sunday a.m., Sunday p.m., Wednesday night, you know, prayer meeting, in a building, congregation, you know, the per, you, know you have the offering, the worship, and then the preaching, and then the altar call, and then the dismissal and go home, and you go to KFC or Chinese buffet or whatever afterwards. Like the traditional church in that sense. 
The boat is the church. And Jesus says to the disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side. And He gives them a distinct mission. Get in this boat, this church, and go to the other side. And so what I'm saying is, is that the people in the church, I'm not saying that the church as we see it is completely wrong and completely null and void and everything should be just ditched to the side and that we should fire all the pastors and sell all the buildings and do something completely different. That's not what I'm saying. And I want it to be clear that that's not what I'm saying. Because I love the church. For those of you that had any amount of conversation with me at all, know that my heart bleeds for the church. But Jesus tells them to get in this particular vessel and go to a particular destination. It's kind of like the Great Commission, right? Jesus says, okay, in the church, you're going to go into all the worlds, unto all, or into all areas of the world, unto all peoples, and you're going to make disciples of all nations for my name's sake. You're going to teach them to obey whatsoever I've commanded you. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that's great. And that's the church. They've got a distinct mission, a distinct destination, right? And they're doing that. And they get out halfway into the sea and the wind and the waves are against them and we can see the church and we can see the state of the world. You know, everybody's against the Christian church. You know, you've got people inside the Christian church against the Christian church. You've got politicians against the church. You've got, you know, other religions against the church. You've got, it's like everybody's against Christianity. Nobody's against religion in general. Everybody's just against Christianity. But you've got the church. And Jesus comes walking on the water and the church wasn't able to recognize him. And I'm not saying, I want to be very careful and I want you to hear me very clearly. I'm not saying that in every church, no church can recognize Jesus. But what I am saying is sometimes we get so confined to the vessel that we're in. We get so confined to the structure that we're in. We get so confined to Sunday morning looking a certain way. And it has to be Sunday morning. And we get so confined to Sunday night looking a certain way. And we get so confined to Wednesday night looking a certain way. And we're so structured in what we think it's supposed to look like. Kind of like the Pharisees. They had the idea of what the Messiah was supposed to look like and so when Jesus came they didn't recognize him. Kind of like the Sadducees who got so comfortable with the Roman rule and manipulating the system that they didn't want the Messiah to come. Much less believe in the Messiah's coming. So we as the church have kind of almost entered in that same thing at times. Now there are exceptions. I'm not saying that there's not. What I'm saying is just bear with me. You've got the church and Jesus is coming and the church doesn't even recognize him. They think it's a spirit, it's a ghost, it's some strange thing, and they don't even recognize him. But you've got that one person, and he says, Lord, if it is you, let me come to you. And Jesus says, come, and so he steps out of the boat. And I asked Faith, we were talking about this last night, and I asked her, I said, you know, why did Peter step out of the boat and no one else did? And I, I told her, I was like, I don't have the answer. I'm just curious to see what you thought. And she said, well, I think that it was because... You know, all I've ever thought was is that it was because Peter was commanded to and the others weren't. It's a fair answer. I don't, I don't know if it's right. I don't know if it's wrong. I don't know if it's because of that or if it's because the other disciples were too scared or if because the other disciples, you know, may not have believed that it was Jesus or that some of them did believe that it was Jesus and was just going to wait for him to get to the boat. If Peter was just being his typical impulsive self, like I'm going to do something that no one's done before. I don't know the reason. But here's what I do believe happened. And I could be wrong, this is just speculation. But one thing that I've noticed, when you have a group of people, say 12 because that's the disciples, and someone does something that hasn't been done before, you've got some in that group that are watching them and whispering to their buddy, 
man, they're about to fail. This dude's gonna drown and we're gonna have to wait for his dead body to float back up so we can even bury him. And then you've got a couple others that are like, man, you can do this, you've got this. I don't even know how this is gonna work, but you have got this. And you've got others that's like, well, I don't know if it's gonna work or not, but man, I'm just really hoping the best for them. And you've got others that's like, I really doubt that it's gonna work, but I'm hoping that you succeed because I really don't wanna see you die. And so in a group of 12 people, you've got 12 different mindsets about the one person stepping out into the water. And I think the church is the same way. We get into this where we're so confined to what we see. And I keep doing this because I believe that's the shape of a boat, if you were wondering. (laughs) But we get so confined to what we see the church looking like or what we have designed in our mind's eye the church should look like that anytime anyone steps out in their pursuit of Jesus to do anything that looks anything different than what we think it should look like, it casts us into all kinds of different groups. You've got the group that's completely doubting and somewhat gossiping about them. You've got the group that's doubting but wouldn't dare gossip. You've got the group that's doubting but encouraging. You've got the group that's completely encouraging and believing with everything they have that it's going to succeed. You've got the group that's believing that it's going to succeed but encouraging them to be careful. And then you've got the group that just doesn't know if it's going to succeed or not but wants either the best or the worst for them. You know, you've got all kinds of things. And then you've got the group, if it does succeed, that's going to be jealous. And then you've got the group that, if it doesn't succeed, is going to be the ones that say, I told you so. And so you've got all these different perspectives about one person or one group of people stepping out to try something different. To try to do something different than what's been done before. But the thing that we've got to remember, and the thing that I keep challenging myself on, is that the group that's in the boat were instructed by Christ to be in the boat. They were instructed by Christ to be where they were. So they weren't being sinful or negligent or anything else about being in the boat because that was the instruction of Christ. But the person who steps out of the boat, who steps out of the traditional framework to do something different was instructed to do something different. Peter was instructed, come to me. And so he did. He stepped out in faith because Jesus had instructed him to step out of the traditional framework and do something different than what had always been done. Just like the people in the boat were instructed to be in the boat. Now, could they have asked and been instructed to get out? Maybe, maybe not. But the reason that this message is pouring on my heart so strongly is because I feel like that as a result of this COVID-19 situation, in our current context, I'm talking about me, I'm talking about faith, I'm talking about the ministry here in the southern Mississippi. I feel like in our current cultural context, we have two choices. We can A, stay in the boat, and that would not be sinful. It would not be wrong. We could stay in the traditional framework of where we've always been. Or, I feel like Jesus is calling us to step out into something different. To step out into something that may not look traditional as we know it. That may look different for a little while. But the thing is, Peter and Jesus get back in the boat. So it's not like they just completely disregard and abandon the design and the traditional framework of the church, if you carry my allegory through. Altogether, they do something different and they bring it back to the church. They step out, they accomplish something different, and then they bring it back. And I'm wondering if maybe in our context, if maybe God's challenging us in this season to step out of the boat in faith, knowing that only God holds us there. 
Because if it isn't for God, you think of nature's laws, you step out of a boat onto water, you're going to sink. Unless you start swimming. And if there's waves beating on you and you don't have anything to rest yourself on, eventually you're going to drown. That's just the law of nature. People get tired after a while. I don't care how great of a swimmer you are. If you stay out in the water indefinitely, you are going to drown. You are not a mermaid. And I don't care how much, how light you are or how heavy you are. You step out onto water, eventually you're going to sink. And so I just, I'm just curious if maybe in our context, God's asking us to step out into faith. Step out of the traditional framework. And trust that He holds us above the wind and the waves. And that He holds us above the sea. And so all the circumstances and all the chaos and all of the attacks and all of the turmoil and all of the conditions of COVID-19 and everything else are below our feet as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus. As long as we don't hesitate. And maybe this is just for me. And maybe God's challenging us to step out in a direction and I just need some scriptural encouragement, some spiritual encouragement to say, okay, God, I'm willing to take that step of faith and I'm willing to step out of the traditional framework. I'm willing to step out of what's always been. I'm willing to step out of what's comfortable and out of what's safe to take a risk in faith to believe that you're going to sustain me. Because Jesus didn't rebuke anyone that stayed in the boat and say, oh, you have little faith. That's why I can't believe that that's a stern rebuke right there. Because if it was a stern rebuke, then he'd have got in the boat and he would have said, how dare all of you, none of you had faith to come out to me and successfully make it. Why would Peter be the one rebuked when he was the only one that had the confidence to step out of the boat and walk on the wind and waves to come to Jesus? So I have to believe that that's actually a gentle, loving admonition and encouragement. It was a challenge saying you don't have to have doubt. You don't have to hesitate. You don't have to have fear. You can step out believing that God will sustain you and you can come to Jesus, come to what's different, and then walk with Him hand in hand back to the church to change and to end the persecution and all the stuff that's going on around and change some things, to do something different. And hopefully this isn't just me being stir-crazy because of COVID-19. But I re on a serious I just really believe with all of my being that God is out on the wind and waves. If you'll just carry the picture, keep the, the paradigm here, keep the symbolism. And He's saying to us here in our context, come to me. And right now, we're in the safety of the traditional framework, of the framework that's always made up the church in America, the framework that's always existed in the capacity that it exists in currently. And we have two options. Number one, we can stay in the safety and the comfort and the framework that's always been and be just like everybody else and maybe maintain it, maybe not. Or we can hear the voice of our Savior and we can step out of that framework and we can step out onto the wind and the waves and we can walk towards Jesus. And we can then say that we did something that no one's done before. That we did something a little bit different. That we did something in faith, believing. And if we sink, we sink! But at least we know that we stepped out in faith with everything that we had. And we pursued God with the fullness of our heart. And our, the, everything that we had was in pressing towards Jesus.
And I believe with the entirety of my being that every single one of you are willing to be challenged, are willing to allow your faith to be stretched and to take that step too. And you don't even have to look at it in the, the context of the church that I'm looking at it in, but you can look at it as just this simple exhortation right here that the boat represents safety. It represents comfort. It represents an area, a thing that's designed to protect us from the storms and the chaos and all the things going on around us. It's your comfort zone. And Jesus is calling you to step out of your comfort zone and step into something that's different. To something that's challenging you, that's stretching your faith. Maybe you have a calling on your life and you know that it's there and you hear it ringing in the back of your head, but you haven't stepped out in faith because there's a risk involved. Maybe this is the time to allow your faith to be stretched and to take that risk and to move in faith, trusting God to sustain you and hold you, your head above water. With that being said, I just want to take a moment and I just want us to pray. And this hasn't been a super long or super complicated message. But this has been me sharing my heart with you. So if you would, let's just pray. And you pray for me and I'll pray for you. I'll pray that together we're willing to hear the Savior's call. We're willing to hear the Master's call. And we're willing to step out of what we think is comfortable and what we think is safe and secure. And we're willing to take that risk and to take that step and to step out onto something that's not guaranteed. The only thing that's guaranteed is our Father's love for us and our Father's provision. Will you do that with me? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Jesus, Lord, I come to you this morning on behalf of all of my friends and my family, both physical family and church family. Lord, and I just ask this, Lord, that you would give us a kind of crazy bold faith. God, I'm ready for the days of just mediocre faith to be done with. <laughs> I'm ready for the days of comfortable faith to be done with. Lord, sometimes I heard this exhortation by Francis Chan a long time ago, and he was exhorted by a call at one of his professors a time before that. When you look at your life, what in your life actually requires faith? Are we just taking care of ourselves and then attributing it to God? Or are we really trusting God to take care of our lives? Lord, I can honestly say that at this season of my life, I'm trusting you wholeheartedly. But Lord, there have been times in my life to where I've just ironed everything out just so. So that the finances lined up. So that the ministry moves lined up. And it was all Chris Aaron and face organizational skills and finance skills, and we were just doing it and accomplishing it and then just attributing it to you. Granted, we have those skills because they come from you, but we weren't really living a life of faith. We weren't really walking by faith. We were walking by our natural means and our natural methods and then calling it faith. Lord, to me, that's mediocre faith, and I'm ready for those days to be done. I'm ready for a people to gather together and to step out into crazy, impossible, unexplainable faith to where we just say, I'm going to walk on water. 
To where we just say, I'm going to raise the dead. I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to cast out devils. I'm going to do the works that Jesus Christ did and greater works because He promised me that. Lord, I pray for everybody listening to this message that they would allow their faith to take them to places that they've never been before without fear of sinking because we know that if we begin to sink, You're there to save us. Lord, it says that when Peter cried out, Lord, save me, it says immediately You took him by the hand and pulled him out. Immediately You pulled him out. Lord, I'm believing for that kind of faith and that kind of trust. Lord, maybe we can call it a holy desperation to where we've been in the boat and we've seen that the boat is going and it's going in a direction and it's good and it's not a bad thing. But Lord, it's just not doing the things that we want it to do anymore. It's just not getting us there at the pace that we think that it could get there. And I'm ready to step out of that comfort. And I'm ready to step out of that the area of security and just step out blindly following you. And when I say blindly, it's not meaning that there's no rationality behind the faith or there's no reason for the faith. When I say blindly, it means that I'm willing to step out not knowing what is going to happen. That I'm willing to step out in faith not knowing how the results pan out. Because if I knew how it was going to pan out, it wouldn't be faith. Jesus, and I'm just praying that everybody that's listening to this is willing to take that step and be stretched and to do those things also. Lord, let this be a season of great faith. Maybe it's unconventional. Maybe it's breaking from tradition a little bit. And maybe it's going to be something different and something new. But God, I'm okay with that. In fact, I'm excited about that. Lord, I pray that that fervor and that excitement isn't confined to me alone. But I pray that you put a holy expectation in the hearts of everybody that's a part of this body. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.